today we have Bruce Mast, and Bruce Mast is from Peninsula Climate Comfort. How are you doing, Bruce? I'm well, thanks. How are you, Travis? I am doing well. Uh, we always like to start our podcast here with our famous icebreaker. So, Bruce, what was the first thing you remember wanting to be growing up? Uh, well, that's funny. Um, as an early child, uh, one of my first career aspirations was to be a physicist. And uh, my aunt thought I was crazy because as a, I would go to the school library and check out physics books to read for fun. And uh, she thought that was nuts. <laughs> Not really, huh? <laughs> okay. Wow. So you were quite the intellectual when I you mean, were... I do have a, a kind of a scientific bent. Um, I studied physics in college and actually got a physics degree, although by then I realized that I did not want to be a physicist. Uh, oh, so okay. Reinvent myself. But uh, yeah, that's my formal education. Okay. Well, let's segue into our next question. Um, Bruce, what do you do now and how did you get to do what you do now? So now I uh, run my own uh, practice. Actually, my company is called Ardena Energy. Uh, I'm a sole proprietor. Uh, but a big part of my focus is around uh, helping customers electrify their homes and helping them convert from gas appliances to electric. And as part of that, uh, Ardena Energy is the lead for a pilot program called Peninsula Climate Comfort, which is sponsored by Peninsula Clean Energy. It's the community choice energy program that serves San Mateo County here in California. And uh, so this pilot, we're helping five households that want to convert their uh, furnaces and hot water heaters to heat pumps and heat pump water heaters. And we're very excited. Wow. Okay. There's a lot in there. Uh, what you <laughs> okay. So I think uh, to help our audience out, uh, you mentioned several things. Um, first of all, you mentioned um, heat electrification. Can you talk a little bit about right. that? Yeah. So um, I've been working in the you know, energy efficiency world for a couple of decades. And of course, more and more of my attention has been shifting towards climate change. And a few years ago, uh, it finally dawned on me how much of our carbon pollution comes from the gas appliances that we find in our homes, our furnaces, hot water heaters, uh, gas cooking, gas clothes dryers, um, all of these burn fossil fuels and the emissions from that uh, heat, heat the planet. And so uh, one of the most important things we can do, especially in California where the electricity is already pretty clean, is to focus on those appliances, replace them with appliances that use clean electricity. I see. So can you give us an example of um, something that's, oh, first of all, why is natural gas so bad for the climate? Well, it's a fossil fuel, so it's extracted from deep in the earth, um, and it's a carbon molecule. So when you burn it, uh, one of the products that comes off of that is carbon dioxide. And so we're adding carbon dioxide to the atmosphere, and the higher the carbon dioxide concentrations go, the uh, more heat that the atmosphere and the oceans retain. Um, and so that's what's heating up the planet and causing our climate change. I see. So how, how bad is that problem? I mean, I, I think as a person, you know, I grew up in Texas and in California. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't th even think about electricity versus gas, to be honest, most of the time. Right. Can you give us a little background on, you know, is it, is it a big problem for most people? 
Well, I mean, for the planet, of course, climate change is this tremendous problem. And you know, recent reports show that like a, something like a million species are in danger of going extinct and uh, temperatures are supposed to rise by you know, multiple degrees, which you know, raises sea levels and the oceans turn acidic and then the uh, barrier reefs you know, die off and we have wildfires. You can just kind of go on and on and on, kind of all of the problems that we're already starting to see uh, because of that. Um, and so to, to slow and stop those changes, we have to slash our emissions, our carbon pollution, by just an enormous factor, like by 90%. Uh, it's just a huge number that we need to drop that. So we need to just be doing everything that is feasible. And um, some things are really hard. It's really hard to uh, uh, you know, build a low emissions airplane, but it's relatively straightforward to install low emissions technologies in our homes. So that's actually one of the easier things that we can do. It's not cheap and it's not trivial, but um, it's, it's where we need to focus next. Okay, so electrification is one of those things. Yeah, it's just like you know, the same reason we want people to buy electric cars and take transit and install solar panels and windmills and kind of all those things to shift our economy to renewable energy and cleaner energy and, and so we can lower our emissions uh, so that we can continue to thrive here on this planet. Okay. Um, you mentioned that one of the problems is the high cost, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, mm -hmm. But I wanted to go over what are some of the things that people would be replacing um, that's running natural gas in their homes yeah. to electrify them? Yeah. So a great one is uh, your hot water heater. So pretty standard home has this big, you know, 40 gallon storage tank with a uh, uh, gas uh, burner at the bottom and, and that, that flame heats the water. And you can take that, that same hot water heater and replace it with a, hot, a heat pump hot water heater, uh, which also has a tank, uh, but it heats the water with uh, heat pump technology, which is the same technology that basically keeps your refrigerator cold. Um, and so it's using electricity to pump heat from low concentration, which is the atmosphere, into a higher concentration, which is the warm water in the tank. And so it's heating water with electricity. Um, and so that's very efficient and very clean. I see. Wow, that sounds pretty good. Have, have we been trying this, or is, is this a brand new technology? Um, yes and no. It's uh, relatively new in the US, and uh, there's been a lot of new new improvements in the technology in, in the recent years. But in places like Japan, like this is standard practice and all through China, this is standard practice. Uh, so uh, some other parts of the world are, are ahead of us in terms of developing and, and uh, getting these technologies out in the marketplace. Well, if it's so good, can you, why, why aren't we using it already? Or what, what happened? Is it kind of like, why we don't have mass transit and a lot of cars? I mean, like, what, what happened in the history that? Why we have all these furnaces everywhere then? So, and, and part of it's policy, right? So like in California, for a couple of decades, the official policy was to actually encourage people to use natural gas. This was before, you know, the heat pumps were really available. And so the, the standard way of heating water was just like resistance heat, which is just, you know, running electricity through a wire until that wire gets hot. Um, and that's not terribly efficient. Um, and so it's expensive and it's, and the gas technology was considered more efficient. And so 
for a couple of decades, all of our state policies really pushed people towards the gas appliances. Now we're realizing, oh, we've got these heat pumps even better than the gas and cleaner. And so now the pendulum is shifting back the other way. Oh, okay. So is the state behind what you're doing? Yes, um, in a way. So the policies, the state's policies are behind this direction, but the, the regulations that kind of run everything, those are taking a while to catch up. And so there's a lot of work right now to rewrite the regulations to reflect uh, the higher level policies that we've set. Oh, okay. All right, you talked about, um, you mentioned the high cost is a problem. Like for EV, for example, I, I remember like 10 years ago, I thought about getting an EV, but it seemed so costly at the time. And it was yeah. hard to work out the math and there was, the choices was more limited. Can you yeah. tell us a bit about where are we on this electrification of homes? So, um, yeah, so the, the best time to make the conversion for a hot water heater or for your furnace is probably when it's time to replace your old equipment. Uh, so that you know you're going to need to spend some money anyway, uh, but you know, replacing a furnace, even if you're just putting in a gas furnace, is going to cost you a few thousand dollars. Uh, so it's not you know just something to you know whip out whip out your wallet and you know pop a twenty on the counter. Um, so the the heat pumps tend to cost a little bit more than the the, the gas alternatives. Uh, so you know heat pump might be five to ten thousand dollars versus you know, four to six thousand dollars for a furnace. Uh, water heater might be two to four thousand dollars compared to you know one to two thousand dollars for hot, for the gas appliance. So right now we're still kind of in the early adoption stages, and we we see some price premiums for those. And we think that if we get more of these out in the marketplace and more readily available, and contractors are more comfortable installing, we expect to see those prices coming down. I see. So if someone is interested in getting one of these things, let's say mine just broke down or I'm buying a new home and mm -hmm. I, I'm interested in helping the climate, um, I can afford uh, something a little bit more expensive, but it works a lot better and cleans up the environment and just get that ball rolling. Yeah. Like go about doing this with so, your organization. Yeah. So, um, in a few years, it'll pretty much be standard practice, I predict, for all new homes to be built to be all electric because that's kind of where, where the new construction is going. So this pilot that we're running, um, it's really to figure out how to help people do exactly what you asked. Um, so right now, there's still lots of obstacles and contractors aren't very familiar with the technology and, and they're not widely available. And so these case studies we're doing, uh, the intent is to really get down in the weeds and figure out what the problems are and how to develop solutions for those so that we can then design programs that are more scalable to, to serve more households. Oh, okay. So this is what Peninsula Climate Comfort is doing. That's right. So we're going to take five households now and really go through this process with them from start to finish and do all the design assistance and help them at every step of the way and then figure out, you know, from that, those lessons learned, we'll figure out how to scale this to do hundreds and then thousands of homes. Wow, that's, that's great. It, isn't that a lot of physics? <laughs> you know, surprisingly little. <laughs> it's more about uh, economics and uh, human behavior and, uh, you know, some of those kind of everyday things that you just need to know. I mean, the physics... 
I need to know enough to kind of explain to people just how, how it works and, you know, explain to them that it's like your refrigerator, but it's, it's a little bit of hand waving and, and not much more than that. Well, you mentioned behavior. Um, why is behavior one of the challenges? People are creatures of habit and people are comfortable with things that are familiar. Um, and so things that are new and different, they, they need to study it, they need to think about it. And, uh, and some things just perform differently. So you're cooking and you want to use an induction cooktop instead of your gas stove. Um, in many ways, it's a very superior technology, but you have to kind of rethink your, your approach to cooking a little bit and you're, you're cooking by a number rather than by looking at how high the blue flame is, right? So uh, it, it's just kind of developing new, new patterns of, of thinking about things. Oh, I remember I, um, I lived in Asia and Europe in my life, and I mm -hmm. used induction uh, stoves. At the beginning, right. it seemed really strange. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. Like, I yeah. couldn't lift my pot, and it was still heat. Right. But then after a while, I realized, wow, I don't have to worry about things burning. Um, it's super safe. Yeah. And, and that's on top of being more efficient. So I thought, right. wow. and, and there's so much cleaner and healthier, and there's and, yeah, much more control over the temperature and there's a lot of reasons why they just perform better but they're different and so yeah. people need to get used to that and people just need to it, there's also just kind of a general education uh issue as well there's people understanding what they can do to protect the environment and how to do it and where to go what resources to look for and you know there's, there's a whole bunch of education that needs to go on as well well great i hope um, i'm helping i'm letting you talk to <laughs> about this um what would be some of the differences uh, with a heat pump water heater versus um, a furnace? Um, so heat pump water heaters and furnaces and then heat pumps, if they're designed correctly and installed correctly, they should run just like uh, everything else you expect. Uh, the heat pump water heater, it takes longer to heat the water. So we want to size them a little bit differently so that you have more capacity, more storage. Uh, we want to make sure that water is uh, nice and hot well before you actually need it so that you don't run out. So there's some little design questions like that that we need to take into account. Um, I found we also have like an electric clothes dryer that uses uh, some advanced technologies. And I find that, you know, it takes a little longer to dry the clothes. So I need to plan around that and schedule my day a little differently. Uh, but um, like I say, at the end of the day, it's, it's worth it because um, we're getting these energy services that we need in our lives without creating these negative impacts that affect the planet and our children and grandchildren. Wow, that's great. I mean, I, in this energy business, I keep on encountering more people like you, and it's really inspiring. Um, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, and I saw that you had worked with um, Build It Green, and before then, oh. you Peace Corps as a yeah. science team. Is that correct? That's correct. What, um, what in your life made you go this direction? Um, I mean, you seem to have done it earlier than most. I think in the past five years, I lived in Silicon Valley for a long time. Mm. I hear a lot more people wanting to apply their expertise to help the planet. Yeah. And, and not to mention the electric grid and, and all these different aspects that really helps everybody out. Mm. Uh, what made you kind of get into this much earlier? I mean, you did Peace, Peace Corps a while back. Yeah. So, you know, I think... It really traces back to my childhood because, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid-50s. I grew up in the 70s, and so I grew up in the energy crisis, and there's this 
oil embargo and the gas lines at the uh, gas stations were you know down the block and around the corner and you know there's just like all kinds of concerns about um you know prices and availability and and that was kind of one of the first uh that, that was kind of when i developed this awareness that oh we need to be more self-sufficient and we need to use energy more efficiently and we need to rely less on the fossil fuels and we've got all this free energy from the sun and so that was kind of this early awareness um and then, like I said, I went to the Peace Corps and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, at the end of my two years of service, I had this kind of fork in the road where I could stay in foreign service, stay abroad, or I could come back to the United States. And the thing that convinced me to come back to the United States was realizing that all of these Africans that I was working with uh, in, my, in my village, they all wanted to live an American lifestyle. They all wanted to go to America, and, and they thought of Americans as fabulously wealthy paradise, and they wanted to live just like Americans. And I realized that, you know, I couldn't really tell them, no, you don't want that, you shouldn't want that, you shouldn't consume all of this stuff that Americans want. Um, and instead, I had to go back to the United States and kind of model a lower impact uh, lifestyle and, and help people figure out how to live well and thrive without consuming so much resources. And so that's what brought me back to the U.S. I tried to get into the solar business, but this is in the 90s. Uh, Reagan had killed the solar industry, so I shifted my attention to energy efficiency, and uh, here I am. Ah, oh, then how did I, what, what was Build It Green, or what is Build It Green? Uh, you so spent build it, yeah, a Build It Green is a nonprofit that I helped found back around 2004. And uh, this is what, for me, what was exciting about Build It Green is, is we were looking beyond just the energy efficiency and we're looking at all aspects of the home and how it impacts people's health and comfort and well-being and looking at the sustainability of all the materials that go into it and, and just looking at how to reduce uh, the overall environmental impacts and actually make homes uh, a, a positive thing for people and the environment. Um, so it's really exciting. Um, and so I've learned a lot through that. I spent uh, about 12 years with Build a Green as a senior director, helping to design programs, helping to uh, bring in new funds, land new contracts, develop new business. Um, and through that, I learned a whole lot about kind of the interaction between health and energy and energy and water and water and materials and resources and uh, just how interconnected all these things are, and it's, it's really a wonderful experience. So, in your, um, you know, more than two decade experience in the in this business uh, of lowering the impact and and also making things more affordable and all these other side benefits, but the overall is how we make a lower impact um, with with a similar lifestyle that we can keep. Mm -hmm. What what is the biggest challenge or what are some of the big challenges that you've had to face? I mean, a lot of it is just inertia, right? We, you know, we have our ways of doing things and everything is going just fine. Thank you very much. And why should I put a lot of time and energy and money into changing, right? That's, it's just basic inertia uh, is, is a big impediment. And um, so that's one. Um, the other that I find is a constant challenge is if we want people to change, it helps to give them a really strong reason and give them, you know, reason that also kind of resonates with their own self-interest as well as, you know, doing good for you know, the planet. And so 
it, it helps if we don't have to rely solely on altruism. Um, I, I, I like to offer solutions that offer also appeal to selfish people. <laughs> so the win-win, the win-win thing that business. That's right. On. That's right. So uh, I'm always that for me, that's a, a recurring challenge to figure out how to make, how to get those interests to align so that people can act in their own self-interest. And at the same time, they're advancing our community interests and our, our societal interests. Wow, that's great. So when it comes to electrification, how do you think that will come together? What, is, what, is, what are some of the win-wins in electrification where it's really good for the community, the planet, yeah. and it satisfies my selfish needs? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's, there's several things there. We already talked about cooking and how that's actually much cleaner and healthier. The, the, the fumes that uh, come off a gas stove go away. Um, in all these cases, if we can you know, turn off that gas line with all the leaks and the methane that comes off of that and the explosion and fire dangers, that's always good. Um, we're minimizing carbon monoxide risks inside the home. Uh, so there's these, these health benefits. Um, if we do these, design these projects right, especially when we combine it with uh, solar power that's uh, becoming cheaper and cheaper, um, we can lower people's gas bills more than we're increasing their electric bills so that we can still lower their overall energy bills. And that's a good thing. Um, so you start to combine these different uh, benefits and uh, they start to add up. Well, wow, so for me personally, let's say I don't care anything about anybody else. <laughs> I would, I, uh, the cost is still getting worked out and that's just a matter of economy of scale. Mm -hmm. So it'll get, it'll be cheaper ongoing basis um it will be safer there's just some other things would it be easier would it be more convenient would my water be hotter or, or what what other things that would electrification bring i mean hot water here is going to deliver hot water you know just this the way that you it currently does uh, one thing we're doing with like when we do space heating with the heat pump when we go in and evaluate a home we're not just looking at the furnace or the heat pump, we're looking at the whole home, we're looking at how the shell performs and how the heating ducts perform and how they deliver air to the different rooms. And we're looking at all the things that we also need to do to make that home more efficient and more comfortable. Um, so that's another thing that goes together uh, with this um, health and uh, efficiency and comfort. Uh, that's very important. Oh, wow. So you, I actually get a bonus too. So, so I don't have to make a sacrifice, but also get a bonus of more comfort. Yeah, because we want to make the whole home perform better, right? So for example, um, here in California, the estimate is that the typical home with air ducts that you move your hot or cold air to different rooms, the estimate is that on average, about a third of that air leaks, right? So heating all this air and two-thirds of it gets to the room where you want it, and a third of it is wasted, right? So before you replace the furnace with a heat pump, you should first seal that duct so that you can you know, have put in a smaller heat pump and it doesn't have to work as hard, right? That's uh, so the idea of kind of doing things in the right order. And when you do that, not only are you saving energy and saving money, but your home ends up being more comfortable and healthier as well. Wow. That sounds good. I mean, and then on top of that, of course, you help the community and then you also help the planet. Claudia Richter from Ohm Connect uh, previously, and she painted a picture of like 10 years from now um, where if you have solar and every, everything's electrified, you can be a consumer and producer of electricity in a 
That's right. Automated. Do you see that happening? Like, like electricity become as fluid as money, you know, getting wired around? There are people who are working on that and developing, you know, blockchain-based solutions so that, you know, you can have like these transactions that are all peer-to-peer and you don't need some central hub to mediate things. So there, there are people that are, uh, we'll work on that. We'll see how that uh, plays out. But, but absolutely, you know, the idea, especially when we, you know, get to the point where like energy storage is, is affordable. You know, if I can store energy and I can produce energy, my neighbor's producing energy and we can trade electrons back and forth when one needs it and the other one has a surplus, you know, those kinds of, uh, you, you can start to see how those kinds of grid interactions uh, become quite possible. Yeah. yeah. If everything's electrified, you can, you know, it's, it's like if everything takes money, then it, you can actually do this. Yeah, um, yeah. You mentioned, um, we, you know, keep on talking about climate change a lot. And I, I love to, you know, since I, I have you here now, um, and you've been working on this for quite a bit, what do you see happening in the next 10, 20 years as far as climate change? Like, us try and mitigate it. You know, it could go a couple, couple different directions. Um, uh, you know, there's a worst case scenario, our efforts fall flat and we fail to get any traction at you know, the higher levels of, of government and things get really bad really fast and until, you know, it really becomes a crisis. Um, more optimistically, and I'm already starting to see this, you know, I'm seeing a real change in people's attitudes and awareness and then realizing that, oh, there's some urgency here. And so uh, now the question is, okay, how do we do this? And so when we can come forward with some practical solutions and show them that, oh, you can make this change and that change and it works, then I expect to see some, some big momentum. Um, and I think that in the next 10 years, if we can make a lot of progress in changing out uh, a lot of these gas appliances and more electric cars out on the street and just keep making progress on solar and wind power and shutting down some of those coal plants and uh, gas power plants, things like that. Um, I think we'll start to see, uh, we'll start to see the, 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 the needle uh, shift and uh, we'll start to see those carbon emissions going down and we'll start to get things under control. Gotcha. Um, well, we, we like to close uh, most of our podcasts asking people this question. Um, are there any life hacks that you personally do that, that, that you think would be really effective for a lot of people that you'd like to share, um, helping a lot with climate change? <laughs> um, I ride the bus. Okay. And... <laughs> and, wow, that's, that's a rare one for America. <laughs> well, you know, and, and maybe it's because I'm in an urban area where this is easy to do, but, you know, this is an area where, like, technology has really changed in the last 10 years, and now I have this little card that gets me on the bus and on the train and on the ferry. It's like any transit system I want to use, I got this one card, and I don't have to fumble with my change anymore. And I've got an app on my phone that tells me, when the bus is going to get to the bus stop and I can decide if it's worth it to wait or do I want to walk a couple blocks or do I want to call an Uber so I'm never stranded and I can get around just about wherever I want and I can ride the bus. Wow, that's a great one. That's also a good example of what you were mentioning before. The biggest challenge is just inertia because yeah. most people would have, you, know, you, you brought up an example that 
be hard, very hard one for most Americans to change from going to driving myself everywhere in one car to riding the bus. And one of the things that's, that's made that easier has been these advances in technology. So that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Well, thank you, Bruce. Uh, we'll provide a link to uh, the pilot program that you're running, uh, Peninsula Climate Comforts. Thank you very much. Thank you, Travis.